or my motivating kind of kind of force was thinking about that kid whose name I will never know. I mean, that is something that I would say to myself. Think about this is to support and to help that kid whose name I will never know. I didn't intend to uh, kind of create a movement. Yeah. I wrote an article. Uh, I did not have many followers on anything. I wasn't a well-known entity. Um, but when I saw that things were kind of moving, um, I kind of just took the opportunity and lack of a better word, ran with it. <laughs> so, <Hey. laughs> and in about the jerk video, I had to make that video because I saw so many Gen Zers just butchering the dance. I'm like, y'all, it's not that hard. Like, what are y'all doing? <laughs> Horrible, man. It is like, it's like, this is trash. I'm Josh Rue Potts, Mr. Pottsville, always with the brother with the same mother, Aaron Potts, Super Hot Potts, and you're watching and listening to your favorite two black runners win. Every single two black two Let me take a break real quick from the podcast and before we get into everything and the nitty gritty of this with Russell Dinkins, I want to thank our sponsor Tracksmith for helping us through the month of February to try and get this Black Tastemakers in the running industry series really going. Last week we had Camila Jornet who worked in Tracksmith. This week we have Russell Dinkins who currently works with Tracksmith as executive director for the Tracksmith Foundation and just so great to be with this company who has a who's committed to runners. They're committed to creating experiences that make running more rewarding, more connected, and more meaningful than ever before from training, race days, and racing as well. And then Tracksmith is also always trying to celebrate and support and contribute to running's distinct culture. And I feel like that correlates directly what we're trying to do with two black runners with the running report and this series so you want to go ahead and check out tracksmith and get you something real nice because they got beautiful stuff beautiful clothing that i know you guys really love use our code running report 22 to get 15 dollars off your first order of 75 dollars or more that's running report 22 just regular spelled out running then report the numbers two two and get yourselves fifteen dollars off your first order of seventy five dollars or more. Let's get into this episode, man. And I trust me, if you guys check out Tracksmith, y'all gonna love it. Let's get into this, bro. Yes, sir. And we're back for another Black Tastemakers podcast mm. in this mm. wonderful month of February, where we celebrate the beautiful Black history of our brothers and sisters so i'm super excited for who we have on today not all heroes wear capes but i'll let joshua take Ooh. it away Come no for on, real man. we got a great one we really do have a great one we got to talk to him a little bit but never on the podcast before back in the ig live days when we were doing that a lot the ogs remember that yeah. ogs remember that we're on ig live every week 
But finally, on the podcast, we got this man. He does it pretty much all. Let me tell you guys, man. He's a multiple-time track and field Princeton record holder. He's an elite US 800-meter runner. He's basically the NCAA Superman over the past two two years, saving (laughs) these programs. Now the executive director of the Tracksmith Foundation. Bro, it's great to have him on. Russell Dinkins joining us on the Two Black Runners podcast. This is a big day. This is a big day. Hey, I'm hyped for this one. Russell, how's it going? (laughs) Hey, guys. uh, It's really great to be on. It's funny. uh, I was like, yeah, I've been on your podcast before. But I was like, no, that was the the IG Live. I I, I totally... uh, thought that I was on y'all's podcast not the IG but uh oh y'all gassed me up pretty pretty fierce but I appreciate it I appreciate the love <laughs> no you really do deserve it because like when you look through like what you've done just not even just from the past two years but like bro you're you're fast you're really fast like you even like you pacing uh Donovan Brazier to the American record in the 600 indoors as well and like the things you did winning heps and stuff when you're at Princeton and everything like those are some a great accomplishment so you definitely do deserve it like you definitely do deserve it and now what you're doing like it's crazy it's definitely crazy and, and he just casually he casually last year was like yeah I'm gonna try and like make the Olympic trials just going out here breaking 150 <laughs> Like it's nothing while he's saving the world all at the same time. Dude, where where does this energy come to like handle and juggle all these different things? Yeah, no, that's uh yeah, that it is kind of crazy. Um yeah, I think it just comes from just having a deep love for the sport, but then also uh just being uh really committed to being involved in the sport um in, mm-hmm. in different ways. Um so yeah, no, last year was kind of interesting. Um, I mean, <laughs> when I graduated college, I, I thought that I was going to, you know, run in college, graduate and then, you know, to get a regular job and, you know, just do mm-hmm. that. And then there's well, we're like eight, nine years later and I'm still, <laughs> you know, and there's been so many times that I've been like, okay, this is my last year running. And then I was, oh, let me go out and jog a little bit. And I was, okay, well, let me do a couple workouts. And okay, well, let me do a couple more workouts. And uh, uh well, let, let me see if I could pay something. And the next thing you know, I'm racing. Yeah. So like that's happened literally <laughs> three or four times. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think it just comes from uh, just um, uh, really enjoying working out, really enjoying racing, enjoying track and field, enjoying being able to meet competitors, um, uh, see people on their own journeys. Um, and then also just knowing that track and field has been a tremendous gift for me um, in my life. And um, you know, being able to share that gift um, uh, through my running, but then also uh, being able to uh, ensure that others have that gift um, as well, particularly uh, as an educational pathway. And I know we're going to get into that a little bit later, yeah. but um, but yeah, but I always kind of been, you know, into a whole bunch of stuff in college. I was do- doing way too much. I was working three or four jobs. I was in dance groups. I was um, in acapella groups. I, don't ask me to sing. I, I'm not a good singer. I just, I just happened to get into one, but, um, yeah, it was, um, yeah. So I, you know, that's just kind of always been me just, uh, you know, having a lot of energy in it and involved in a bunch of stuff. I feel like it's really crazy what you were just saying earlier, the fact of all, like every year I was thinking about not really running and then you 
go back into it. And it's not like you're going back into run like a 5K or like some half marathon. Like you're going in to run the 800. Like you got to have your, your gloves up. You got to be ready to go to run the eight. Like what is it about kind of just like the 800 or just being like, because those workouts are hard. We know those 800 workouts are hard and going lactic like that. Like, why do you want to keep on? Like, why do you want to keep on going back to that? I don't, under, I don't understand. Uh, yeah, maybe it's a little bit of crazy. I don't know. Like, um, I, <laughs> I think, I mean, to be honest, I think, <clears throat> I think I always, even though I'll say to myself, oh yeah, I'm not sure, um, you know, you know, if I'm going to continue to run, um, I think deep down, I still want to. And so I mm -hmm. kind of just, um, uh, just start easy and, and kind of don't put any pressure expectation on myself. And then as uh, the season, or as I start to get in shape, um, then, you know, I start to kind of uh, switch my focus a little bit, but, um, yeah, no, I mean, I, the, the 800 is something that is, uh, it's kind of like a sweet spot for me. Um, I, um, I, I have decent speed. Um, I have some decent endurance, but I'm not great. You know, when it comes to long stuff, if I yeah. were, if I were to go run five Ks, you know, I don't think it would be that fun because I wouldn't really be that competitive, you know, um, and, and, you know, sprinting is not, um, yeah, I'm not, you know, top, top sprinter, but I can, you know, at, at least, you know, for the past several years, I've been able to kind of tap into that, you know, 27 second, 200 pace, you know, repeatedly, um, and then, you know, 26.5 pace repeatedly, um, in order to run, you know, 147, 146, 148, you know, those kind of times. So, um, yeah, it's just been something that I've been able to kind of do. <laughs> and so, um, I think that's why I've gravitated towards it. Um, and, um, you know, I, I've enjoyed kind of seeing, uh, kind of the progress because I can start off and run something modest and then kind of get better yeah. and better each week. And I guess you can do that with a 5k too. Um, I guess if I really decided to, I could run a 5k, but, uh, that was maybe, in a, maybe the next yeah, decade of my life, but not right now. <laughs> I'll leave that to the, uh, to the turkey trotters. Um, you know, <laughs> ain't nobody trying to run a hundred miles a week, you know, just uh, you know. <laughs> the, the five, like the 5k is great. I did, I did uh, cross country in high school. I enjoyed doing cross country in high school, believe it or not. Um, so, I mean, it, it's cool, but you know, why run a 5k when you can run an eight? <laughs> yeah i feel that just two laps it's more fun it's, it's yeah. just more fun i saw i definitely feel that but one of the big things you're doing right now if people that don't know tracksmith foundation you're saving the schools really like how did this how did the tracksmith foundation come about what was the story behind that we know i mean i think most of our listeners will know about you saving clemson and all these other things but did you ever dream that actually like a foundation would come from this? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really a blessing, man. Um, so I kind of had a feeling um, towards, uh, you know, the middle, uh, the middle to late uh, spring um, slash early summer last year, mm -hmm. I kind of had a feeling that uh, this work would need to continue in a more formal capacity. And I remember uh, speaking to um, one of the track and field media outlets um, at um, at the Portland Track Fest uh, where I ran there. And uh, when they interviewed me and they were asking me, okay, 
where do we go from here? And I said, yeah, I think the next step is to formalize something. And I was kind of dragging my feet on kind of formalizing something myself, um, just because I was a bit apprehensive uh, about kind of taking that official step. Uh, but kind of simultaneously in parallel, uh, Tracksmith, uh, unbeknownst to me, had been thinking about kind of creating something formal in order to uh, kind of house the work of preserving track and field programs. Um, and so they contacted me uh, in the fall of 2021 saying, hey, we're thinking about launching a foundation. It's just something we're thinking about right now, but we wanted to know if you would be interested. And I said, yeah, you know, I've actually been thinking about the need for this to be formalized. And so we started uh, being in conversation over the next several months. And then in December, uh, you know, it was announced that they were launching mm -hmm. the foundation, um, which was a beautiful thing. Um, it allows for there to be kind of an institutional entity uh, that is geared towards advocacy um, on behalf of track and field as a sport that is an equitable opportunity provider along many different lines of, of diversity, race, class, gender. Um, it is really, you know, uh, one of the most uh, equitable sports out there um, and, and one of the most accessible sports. Um, and so uh, this foundation and the work that we're going to be doing and the programs that we're going to be building out uh, will be uh, geared towards helping to protect, advocate, and bolster um, this amazing sport that we love. Yeah, I'm, ex I'm excited to see what you guys are going to do and put together. And I think it's going to be something that can really last on. But right now, like, I know you guys are early on, but what does, like, sort of the team kind of look like? It's like how many people are kind of, like, working through this and going towards this mission? Like, what is it, like, what are, like, the day-to-day, -day, like, kind of, or week-to-week -week things kind of look like at the moment? Yeah, so right now it's a lot of uh, kind of meeting and institutional planning. Um, some of kind of the boring uh, stuff that yeah. you need to do in order to set up a, a strong foundation. Um, I am uh, the, the first uh, official person with the foundation, uh, but the Tracksmith company side um, is very involved with, with, with the work that we're doing as well. So, um, you know, we're having a lot of, structural meetings to, to build out our strategic priorities and our institutional priorities. And I have um, a bunch of uh, great things uh, down uh, in store, which can't quite announce all of them yet, um, just because they have to go through kind of a, a formal approval process. But, um, you know, we, we have so many awesome things stemming from um, going from uh, ranging from working with high school athletes to uh, to athletes who are uh, in college and beyond. And so I'm really um, excited about the opportunity that we have to really, you know, help uh, promote the sport, um, to help uh, provide different ways uh, for people to access opportunity, particularly um, high school kids who, uh, who are really academically and athletically talented and just need to have, you know, kind of a pathway provided for them um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're going to be doing a lot of uh, a lot of great things, and then also um, still with the college advocacy component, um, supporting teams that uh, have been cut, and then also building out a framework uh, for uh, a toolkit, if you will, for teams that may unfortunately um, face cuts in the future. Um, you know, there'll be a, a resource um, that they'll be able to go to that will have kind of the how to how to organize how to structure themselves. Um, really wanted to be kind of uh, something that uh, a university community, a track and field community can pick up and, and uh, 
and, and put in place, particularly um, not only in terms of like responding to being cut, but also in terms of resiliency. I mean, my mm -hmm. dream is uh, to be able to have uh, school uh, communities, uh, teen communities um, um, and, and college uh, be able to just go to uh, where there's resources housed and be able to organize uh, their own uh, alumni structures um, yeah. without needing to do so in response to being cut. Because one of the things that I noticed, all the schools that I worked with, they did not have a robust um, uh, like alumni parent kind of infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think that's critically important. Um, schools do not want to cut a team that they see has a really active alumni parent organization because they know yeah. if they cut that team, it's going to give them a lot of, you know, trouble, um, you know, and, and make it make, you know, the objective of cutting the team meaningfully more difficult. So, that's why uh, I strongly believe that having this toolkit so that teams can develop these alumni organizations, these strong alumni organizations themselves um, will be critically valuable. So um, those are some things that I can talk about, um, but um, there are other programs and projects that we have uh, that that are gonna be, um, they're also gonna be launched within this next year that I'm also really excited about. Yeah, I love to hear like how you're really empowering athlete, athletes to kind of not have to solely rely on institutions that don't always have like the best in mind for them at times or are not thinking deeply about them, especially, you know, we talk a lot about, um, about minorities that kind of get looked over in, in the moment. So I think that's really important where has like, I feel like you're, you're combining like this passion of like um, activism that you can see throughout history um, with certain leaders with your passion for running. Where there, is there like certain activists in your life that you really look, look to or that were really like someone that were like idols to you growing up or, or is that something you're really into? That is a really good question. Um, so I, there are many amazing leaders, you know, from obviously Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Fannie Lou Hamer, um, you know, uh, to people like Shirley Chisholm, who wasn't necessarily an activist, but she was, um, you know, a really amazing legislator, um, uh, the first uh, Black female uh, member of Congress, I believe, um, and the first Black person to run for president. Um, I think it was in 1972 that she ran. Yeah. So um, history buffs will correct me if I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so there, there, there are a lot of people. Um, I would be lying if I said that, you know, I have deeply studied all of them. Um, it has, it's not like I've just looked up to someone one person in particular, but just the idea of kind of fighting for what's right has always been something that's been at my core. Um, in high school and middle school, I was always involved in kind of advocacy organizations, whether it was environmental advocacy organizations, racial um, uh, advocacy, advocacy groups, um, uh, the, the athlete uh, ally alliance for like LGBT athletes and stuff. So it, it was, it's always been kind of an important thing to me to kind of advocate for um, issues that I cared about. And so uh, 
kind of getting involved in this work uh, just was kind of a natural extension. And for those who don't know the backstory, um, Brown University cut their track and field program in June of 2020. And a few days later, the George Floyd murder occurred. Uh, and then Brown released a statement saying how they were uh, deeply yeah, uh, kind of concerned, what have you, just like everybody else made those soul statements, searching. right? <laughs> yeah, soul searching, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the meanwhile, they were literally going to, they were literally replacing their men's track and field program with sailing and their men's track and field program had more black athletes on it than four of their other programs combined and their sailing team. Um, did not have a single black athlete and to my recollection did not have a single person of color on the team at the time so it was just an egregious um, kind of slap in the face yeah. i got mad and so i wrote a um article on medium um and that article went viral um and that kind of organically kind of developed into me becoming the go-to person to help save teams and since then um, since writing the article on Medium, uh, helped to save uh, programs at four different institutions, Brown, University of Minnesota, William & Mary, and the last one was Clemson. And I'm currently working with uh, Central Michigan University. Um, so hopefully we can get number five um, on, the, uh, on the scoreboard as well. But that's, uh, that's kind of how I got involved in this stuff. It wasn't, I didn't intend to uh, kind of create a movement. Yeah. I wrote an article. Uh, I did not have many followers on anything. I wasn't a well-known entity. Um, but when I saw that things were kind of moving, um, I kind of just took the opportunity and lack of a better word, ran with it. <laughs> so, hey. Um, hey. so yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of how, it, that's kind of how it happened. And you ran longer than a minute, 50 seconds. So you died. You I did. I did. <laughs> yeah. It was a, ma a marathon effort, you know, and we're, and we're still running, you know, ultra on that ultra flow, you know, <laughs> but you going back to you saying how back in like in high school, you were always in a lot of like advocacy, like programs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And things like it's, I know I can't believe wonder if uh like 18 16 year old russell was all like i'm gonna do this because this is like the most niche thing that you could ever like get into you know in running like i feel like in all these people that we've gone these black tastemakers like what they've gotten into is so niche so like back then like what were you imagining to be and then to now like did you ever imagine like you'd be stuck in like this kind of realm of running at this time in high school, I just, I wanted to do well in school. I wanted to run well um, so that I can get, uh, get recruited. Um, and then, you know, I knew that I wanted to do work um, in kind of ways that would help people. So yeah. I guess in high school, I was thinking about, um, you know, working for like a, for a NGO or something like that. You know, I, I kind of, you know, I definitely thought I would be working, you know, and a working and not running, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I, I guess I, I thought I would be working maybe, you know, for the UN or something like that. Like that's kind of, mm -hmm. um, world health organization, like something in that realm, uh, that's probably what I thought I was going to be doing. If you told me though, at 16, 17, 18, that I would, uh, kind of get involved in like some activism and and kind of be a movement leader of sorts. I don't think I would have been that surprised. Yeah. 
Most definitely. And it, that makes sense by all those groups you were already, you were participating in within high school already mm. too. But talk a little bit about like your run in high school because you got <clears throat> recruited to run at Princeton. Your career there was awesome. When did you start dropping like those fast times where it was like, all right, like this is a reality. Like I can go here for my academics and straight, but I could really be on the team and be be one of the best in in the HEP in the or in the Ivy League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, my journey was interesting. So, um, I'm from Philly uh, originally, and um, there uh, was. Uh, I was at a really good prep school in Philly, uh, in the Philly area called Jefferson Academy. Great school, loved it. Um, we had some challenging um, family um, stuff happening, um, and they were just, uh, um, it was really affecting uh, my my academics. And so, Germantown Academy and my mom actually both decided together that it was probably best if I uh, try to go to boarding school for a year while things at home kind of settled. Um, and so the plan was for me to go to boarding school for one year. So I went to boarding school. I repeated the ninth grade um, because uh, things were just so bad um, that um, the school said, hey, just go home and then reset next year when you go to boarding school. Um, so I went to boarding school, uh, uh, repeated my ninth grade year. And um, I was only supposed to be up there for one year, then I was supposed to go back to Germantown Academy, but things ended up working out well at the boarding school, which was at Wilbraham and Monson Academy. So I have great love for Germantown Academy and I have great love for my, you know, the school that I went to for high school for all four years, which was, um, which was uh, Wilbraham and Monson. Wilbraham and Monson, uh, great school, track and field program was very modest. The school record in the 800 for men was 208 when I got there um so yeah that puts it to perspective but I I knew I was like hey I am going to get into college for running one because I think I'm talented enough and two because who else gonna pay for it so I need to run real fast (laughs) you know know? so I was like all right we're gonna have to run but I also knew that okay I need to make sure my academics are up too because I need to make myself a full package. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I need to have good grades. I need to be in these groups. I need to be in leadership. I need to do all this stuff because I need to make myself as strong of a candidate as possible. And um, yeah, like I didn't really start, my times didn't really start dropping until it's 2007. I ran 152 which nowadays isn't that fast, but back then that was pretty good for high school. Um, Now guys are running, you know, 148 and stuff in high school, but there weren't too many guys running, um, you know, sub 153 in high school back then. Um, So uh, 152 and also ran 47.6 that summer. Um, And I started getting some bites, but then the next summer, 2008, I went 151.9, which was only a little bit faster, but just that 151. um, That's rolling. then I got a whole, but I ran 152.3 the year before, and I was like, oh, okay, that's pretty solid. But then when I ran 151.9, then a bunch of schools that were like, kind of like so-so, then like started hitting me up like crazy. So um, I got a lot of looks from the Ivy League, um, uh, mostly because I guess my academic profile and also my times kind of fit what they were looking for. But yeah, I, 
I, I expected that I would be um, able to be a top athlete. And at Princeton, I ran really well there, uh, won a bunch of HEPS titles, was a part of a DMR that won uh, the nationals in 2013 um, and made it to nationals individually twice. And so, um, you know, I think that my career there was, uh, was, pretty, was pretty positive. Uh, I still see some gaps there. You know, I think a lot of athletes, you know, uh, could, could say that. Um, yeah, and to do that through an Ivy League school, you don't see that every single year. So to find success through that is definitely great to see. But also going back to what you are talking about earlier with your high school days of running, I see like a lot of self-discipline on what you're able, able to really, uh, I don't know if you gained that, through track and field? Because I would say from a young, me and Aaron, we've been running for a long time. I started running when I was five. And I think a lot of my self, self-discipline self kind of came from running track at five. And I feel like running track, like you gotta, sometimes you gotta get up and just run on your own, or you gotta do the drills or the stretching, a little extra stuff to stay healthy. And that kind of like gained my self-discipline. But like, when did, and I feel like the self-discipline that you gained has been very strong to be able to get you into like Princeton and all these like records and keep on moving on and moving on sort of independently. Did that really come from track and field coming into your life? Or is that something that started earlier on through like your family or something when you got that self self-discipline independence to be able to move on and do such great things? Uh, I appreciate that, man. Um... Sometimes I look back and like, wow, I was really disciplined in high school. Like, what happened? You know, like I was, I was really, I was really uh, doing the thing. Um, I think it stemmed from, you know, uh, so I did. I started track and field at six. So I, okay. a, a lot of people started young, and um, you know, a person that will always uh, be cherished in my life was my club coach uh, Bob Jackson, who unfortunately passed away a few years ago. Um, I think a lot of kids have, you know. Um, someone like that, especially if they did club track, mm-hmm. um, you know, coach Bob was an amazing person because for him, yeah, he wanted you to win, but it wasn't about winning. It was about you putting out your best effort and doing the very best that you can and, and gaining something out of the process. And for him, it was always about using track and field as a vehicle for educational access and also using track and field as a way of growing into a responsible young man. And, and that was what was most important. And, that's what he, that, and that is what he prioritized. I mean, I remember I messed up uh, one of our relays um, and we ended up getting fifth and we probably could have got third, but I didn't run as well um, on the four by eight. I think I was nine years old. I was in Buffalo. I remember that. I was crying a lot. And I remember he came <laughs> up to me and he yelled at me, but not out of him being mad at me. He was upset that I was beating myself up. He's like, you gave me more wins than losses. Um, and what you're not defined by what you do, you know, uh, you know, the, the time you put out on the track, you know, you're defined by, you know, the effort you, you expend and, and the character that you have. And, and, and basically he's like, yeah, you know, you didn't run the best this one time. Okay that's fine. Pick yourself up and do better next time. And I think that kind of value set is what um, has, you know, been at my core. And I'm tremendously um, grateful that, um, you know, he came into my life. Um, I mean, he's literally saved, saved thousands of 
you know, of kids. And, you know, I know, you know, me and my family, um, you know, would not be anywhere near where we are if it wasn't for you know, the selflessness that that man displayed um, through his life. I mean, he had a, he, he, he spent um, his time here on this earth in a beautiful way. And um, I like to think that um, he really wanted me to kind of take on the team. Um, and, you know, I, I felt bad because I didn't want to coach club track, mm-hmm. but I feel um, like in a different way, I'm extending, you know, um, his legacy because I am um, still working to provide opportunity through the sport um, to countless of children, um, you know, young men, young women yeah. um, too, uh, because they benefit enormously from the work, um, you know, having their brothers there. Um, and, you know, we worked with a lot of the female athletes when we were saving these programs. So um, big shout outs to them. Um, but, you know, having, you know, those young um, black and brown faces, um, you know, women and men um, having these opportunities, I mean, that's enormously important to me. Um, and so, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, it's getting a little... A little emotional here, but and you know the effect that he had on your life, and just hearing you speak about it, you know, it makes sense why track and field is so important to you. But I think it's also awesome to see like he saw something within you at, at such an early age. He saw some type of leadership aspect within you, and sometimes like with things like that, like. It doesn't always look how like you thought it was like, oh, he wants me to be like the club coach, you know, and it's almost like I think back to like the story you just told, like you were crying because you thought he was mad. He was going to be mad at you because you messed up. But in that, at the end of the day, it still worked out in a way to where it's like, no, you've got more wins than losses. You put out this effort and it's like you're not a club coach, but you're still opening this lane and you are you are making his legacy greater so it's just really appreciate you like telling us that story um and yeah it's it's really special to see Um, and we club kids so we understand the effect that the coaches can have on our dad was mostly our club coach but even just the other coaches on the club yeah bro they i feel like influenced a lot wouldn't you say aaron for sure yeah Yeah, and i'm good sorry no i was just gonna say coach carlton coach zelda victor like i feel like in the black community, especially in that club realm, every like a lot of people really have is, have those coaches that really like have saved people and influenced them, taught them discipline, how to be a better person. That's just like a thing in our community for sure. I mean, yeah, it, I mean, they, they end up being kind of like, you know, second parents, you know, um, yeah. you know, and, you know, and, and you love them like family because they are your family, you know, um, like in, 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 a, in a very real sense. Um, uh, one of our other coaches, uh, Coach Al, um, shout out to Coach Al in Pleasantville, um, he would have a bunch of us um, stay with him over the summer. We would call it Coach Law, um, we would call it um, Camp Laws, uh, Alan Laws, and um, uh, we would call it Camp Laws because we would, there would be a bunch of us who would stay there uh, during the summer and just train. His son was my, is my age, um, but he treated us all the same. He didn't give yeah. his son any favoritism. Um, you know, he, you know, we all had chores, <laughs> it was, you know, we, 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 we all, you know, um, you know, he loved us all the same and, and pushed us. Um, and, and, and we trained together, we got better together, we grew up together. Um, and so, you know, especially, you know, when, you know, the, the, 
I don't want to talk about like a stereotype stuff, like, you know, absentee black fathers or whatever like that, because I think that can go in a direction that, you know, that that's negative, but, you know, there are folks that do have issues, you know, with not having kind of positive uh, role models. Um, and my dad is in my life and I'm very thankful for that, but I'm also very grateful that I've had um, these other amazing men in my life, in addition mm-hmm. um, to my father, uh, to to lean on and to have, um, you know, also black women. I mean, we had, you know, the Miss Diane, she was our like receptionist and she would, uh, you know, uh, she was sometimes coaches too. I mean, it was just a um, tremendously um, uh, informative experience. I know that experience is not unique to me. There are so many kids who've experienced that, whether they did track, you know, from six to 18, like I did, or only did it for a few years, just having that kind of community around them I think it's um I think it's really important. But one thing I will say, when I first started, I was terrible. I got dead last <laughs> in all the cross country meets, snot like just crying <laughs> like like awful. And um, you know, Coach Bob was like, "Oh no, he's gonna be good." And my dad was like, "Okay, yeah, yeah, you just saying that because <laughs> you know you want this due." But um, you know, uh, and for some, you know, and one thing that I will say that my mom um made me do because I wanted to quit after that first day because we had. First day was cross country and they made us run up this big hill and I was sick. So I was I don't ever want to do that again. And I was like, mom, I don't want to do this no more. And she was like, no, if you start something, you have to finish it. And I think that also is um, something that is instilled within me, but also is one of the most beautiful things about, you know, our sport. Um, It's hard. You know I mean? It it is hard to get out there. Going back to what you were saying and your experience, specifically like going to Princeton and having that opportunity and then running a little bit afterwards, I want to go to like the speech that you made at the USTFCCCA convention. Kind of like that's like why is that acronym so? Long, I know, man? I know. <laughs> like, come on, man! Like, I saw me, I was kind of struggling. I think I said one too many C's, but. <laughs> No, at that coaches convention that they have every single year, one of the biggest stages to kind of speak to all the coaches about your mission with the Tracksmith Foundation. And I like the part when you said on there saying that like your story isn't particularly like unique. There's a lot of people that have this story. And what we just heard, your story is kind of unique, but I understand where you're coming from. There's a lot of kids that have that same story of being that 152, 151 guy or that or that 207 or 206 girl that have these opportunities and to have that stripped away from them can be horrible. But like, what is, um, over these past 18 months, like what are those, some of those things that you kind of realized more and more about your experiences and the experience that's getting stripped away from some of these athletes, the NCAA athletes that makes it so valuable and why that not so unique experience becomes one of the best thing that somebody can really go through yeah uh, so i mean what was at the core of a lot of this work i mean for the last 18 months kind of my kind of motivating factor my motivating kind of kind of force was thinking about that kid whose name i will never know i mean that is something that i would say to myself um and i even you know said it in a few other podcasts Um, But it's true. I I would think about this is to support and to help that kid whose name I will never know. Um, Because I know how important it is to have educational opportunity 
um, provided uh, through the pathway that track and field can provide. I mean, a lot of people don't necessarily think about the fact that recruitment slots are direct pathways to admission. And so some, like a lot of the other uh, Olympic sports uh, that are on campus are very homogenous along racial and socioeconomic lines. So um, uh, they are, they tend to be very affluent. I said that uh, on the uh, IG live uh, last time, I remember, um, but um, uh, they, they tend to be very cost prohibitive. Like, you know, they're just expensive. And they also tend to be, you know, very white. I mean, some of the NCAA sports are like 85% white. Like it's actually, um, it's not a diverse opportunity provider. My argument has never been to take away any of those opportunities, but the simple fact of the matter is those sports provide direct pathways um, via, via recruitment to communities that are almost exclusively white and almost exclusively um, uh, upper middle class to upper class in terms of income. Track and field is one of the few sports and it's the only non-revenue sport um, that provides pathways that are accessed by people from a broader range. So a broader range of social economics and also a broader range of race. And it also is the only sport besides football and basketball that offers significant opportunity every single year uh, to black athletes, both on the male and female side. And so it was tremendously important for me to ensure that these academic pathways, because let's be real, we're talking about running a college, what's college? It's, it is a place of higher learning. Yeah. These are educational pathways, distinct educational pathways. And so it was important for me to make sure that these pathways continue because here's the thing, everyone is not going to run and become pro. Everyone is not going to run and even pro track. I mean, unless you're at the top, 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 <laughs> and a whole bunch of money in it. So like it, it is not, most people um, are not going to do that. And that's fine. We need to ensure that some of our lower income brothers and sisters, and then also, um, you know, our black and brown brothers and sisters are able to access these opportunities, you know, so whether they are from, you know, the hills of Appalachia throwing, you know, that shot put out the ring, or whether they are in Baltimore, you know, sprinting, you know, that hundred real fast, these kids um, need to have these opportunities. And for me, it was particularly important that these black and brown kids have these opportunities. And so um, that was my driving force. That's been my motivation then. And it's my motivation now, because um, at the end of the day, um, educational access that benefits these communities is vastly important. Most definitely. And like you're saying, like, it's not, it, it is a need, like it, it is a need for people to have that pathway. And I think about my own, you know, career path. And I just think like, going to going to college getting that scholarship or whatever it is like just being there and meeting people and getting different vantage points depending where you're coming from means so much and you make so many connections like especially in like this in this running world which has led me to where i'm at just like all the different connections i've made with people through running learning about things i didn't even know existed when i was in high school so eliminating just eliminating that for so many people that don't make it in other sports is is like outright wrong but what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions our community has when it comes to running because we're always going for basketball we're going we're going for football like the the big sports what do you think are some of the misconceptions in our community 
that people have when it comes to uh, track and field? So, so our community mean black community? Black community, yes. All right, be, uh, you know, I just wanted to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. All right, cool, cool. cool. They can't see us on the podcast. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> if they listen to t- they listen to this podcast, they should they should already know. But you know, <laughs> um, yeah. All right, so uh, we'll keep it one hundred. So everybody ain't that fast. So everybody should not be running the hundred, the two hundred. Uh, let's just like let's just put that out there, like like straight up 100. like, like I, if, if you go to some of these youth track meets like the 200 Everybody. will take three hours it's like oh we can like leave oh, go facts. to denny's come back like this is like and they still do the 200 because everybody brought the 200 like oh man baby girl you ran a 45 second 200 you should not be running the 200 let's figure out another <laughs> event for you yeah that doesn't mean that you um you know you know can't be a great you know athlete in something but you know maybe the 200 isn't isn't the spot so i think i think that's a misconception um it's you know in terms of in terms of football basketball i understand why those lures are there um you know but what i will say from a recruitment side you know if you are if you're looking at you know, trying to use athletics, like sport, in order to get your kid into college. Let's put aside pros for a second, because I understand the lore of trying to get into the league um, and, you know, the kind of the possibility that, that presents. But, you know, there's such a fractionally small percentage that can make it to the league. So, um, you know, that's kind of, uh, we have to put put that there. But you have a, you have a better chance. I mean, because basketball teams, uh, basketball teams in college about 15 to 18 you know so the amount of slots that are available to you in the basket and basketball is just a lot fewer than the amount mm-hmm. of slots that are available with track and field given that track and field teams uh, um, typically are about 50 athletes or more um, and so you will it's harder to get a full ride with track and field but you know you can get a partial uh, athletic scholarship and that could be coupled with an academic or merit base or if you fit into some sort of affinity group or if you're in state um, so there are ways that you, that you can get a full package cobbled together um, and so in terms of kind of like strategy track and field actually provides a I think a better strategy um, for getting into college um, via sport um, uh, compared to basketball but you know if you have a really talented basketball athlete, you know, do it. You know, I'm not going to say don't, you know, just run track because I love track. Like, you know, if you are really, really talented at that sport, do that sport. But just be honest with yourself. Yeah, I, football actually provides a really good pathway. So I, I know I know where I'm trying to pull people back from football, but I'm just I'm just being honest. Like, if you if you're looking at you know, you know, if you're looking at the finances, nuts and bolts. Like, if, if the objective is to get little Jimmy or little Jalil, you know, into like a college um, uh, via their sport and to have it be paid for in full or by a significant part, um, you know, football is actually a pretty good uh, pathway if they do have the, if they do have the uh, athletic kind of um, acumen for it. But again, I think families, kids, they got to be honest with themselves. And being honest with yourself does not mean limit yourself. Don't do that. But just be honest with, okay, is my talent level consistent with competing um, in college and getting a scholarship? If yes, 
great. Um, then the next question you should ask is, okay, my talent level is that, but am I currently there? And mm-hmm. then if you are currently there, okay, what do I need to do? And if you're not currently there, what do you need to do to get there? And so I know looking back on me, um, I knew I wanted to compete in college. I knew when I was a freshman, I wasn't currently there. I knew that you know, my coach in high school was great, wonderful, nice guy, but they they never, I mean, the school record was 208, you know? So yeah. like, I knew that in order to run faster, I would have to take a lot of it into my own hands. So I talked to the coach that, hey, at these um, dual meets, I knew we had two meets a week. I was like, hey, can I run the 1500, the 800, the 400 and the four by four every meet? And he said, yeah. So I did that every meet. What is that? It's basically a workout, you know? We'll run a 15 yeah. and the 1500 was not fast you know it was like 215 i mean not 215 415 you know um you know and then i would run like a 207 you know 800 then i would run like a 50 point you know 400 you know like so but i was doing that every week and you know that was basically two um you know workouts a week and then i would gradually get a little bit more in shape more in shape more in shape and then by the summer when i was able to come back down to philly and train with my club coach I had a decent base and then I was able to kind of build on that in order to run faster. So I figured out a strategy for me based off of my context. Yeah. Other kids will have to figure out what works for them. But um, that's what I said. So like, like ask yourself, do I have the talent to get there? If the answer is yes. Am I currently at the level where I can get recruited? If the answer is yes, then you make certain decisions. If the answer is no, what do you need to do in order to get there? So that's what I would say for, for the high school listeners who are listening or the parents or the families who are listening who have talented high school athletes. What I like about track too is like, you can really just look and be like, okay, I need to run this time to get there. Whereas like football, there's a lot of opportunities, but then it's like, you gotta, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people you're competing with. You, they want you to be like a certain size, a certain height. There's like camps to go to and stuff like that. But as I think that's one of the biggest advantages with track. You could be like, all right, I need to run 152 to go to a D1, a D2, or 3-3. You can like really like lay out lay out the times, and you can like you're saying you have a lot more control on your own. Whereas football, you got like it's more likely like the coach is gonna be very you know involved over like your playing time and little politics like that too. Yeah, yeah I mean much. I think that's the beautiful thing about track. Uh, a time is a time. A mark is a mark. A throw is a throw, right? And so, you know, um, if you throw something, you know, uh, far, if you jump something higher, far, if you run a good time, um, you know, that stands, and, and, you know, and, and that and that speaks for itself. So, I do think that in that way, track and field is really egalitarian. Um, it kind of evens the playing field, because football is one thing, but like, there's a lot of these sports, like lacrosse, some of these other sports, you have to go to the really expensive combines, you have to mm-hmm. make highlight reels. Um, um, not that you don't have to do that for football too, but it football is a, l- a little bit easier for lower income uh, families to, uh, to access uh, that process. But the process for recruitment for something like uh, some of these more niche um, Olympic sports, it's it's very very cost prohibitive. And you know, track and field, yeah, you know, it it's not, you know, it does cost some money to go to like you know um, to the indoor nationals or the outdoor nationals, but. If you compare that amount of money to the amount of money that these other families are paying for all these other things they have to do in order to get recruited, it kind of pales in comparison, you know. And now, you know, there's so many cool high school meets where if you're at a certain level, you know, they'll, you know, 
they'll you know sponsor you to go to the meet and stuff like that. So um, you know, there 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 are different ways of you know of making it happen. Oh, most definitely, most definitely. And as we start closing out in the podcast, Russell, we have a few more questions before we get out of here. But I want to start. I want to start here before we get out of here, bro. Like your Instagram name is Dancing Things, so we know like you you dance, you dance. I seen you back in December. You were jerking, hitting the reject <laughs> and everything. You know me and Aaron. We we on that we on that wave. Jerking that. ain't dead. Jerking ain't dead. I can tell you that. Where's where's your relationship with dance and like where? How do you find like comfort in that? Cause I see you do you dance a lot. Yeah, yeah, I kind of wiggle a lot. So it's funny. I actually have thought about changing my Instagram and Twitter handle a lot um, <laughs> because it's like dancing things. So like, yeah, yeah so it's nice, you know, kind of like alliteration right there. But besides that. People are like, wait, he's a runner, so why is it called dancing things? Um, and so I've thought about changing it a bunch. And also it's like it's kind of like cutesy and it's like not as professional, or whatever. But yeah. um I don't know, I just haven't changed it yet, and I probably I'll probably keep it the same for a while. But um <laughs> in college, that was my nickname. My nickname was Dancing Dinks, and then it got shortened to just dancing. And the reason why is because I um I would just always just be dancing like in around the locker room, even yeah. in this is ridiculous. In between reps, like workout reps, <laughs> I'll be like, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right, Whew, all right. let's go. You know, it's kind of like a way for me to kind of, um, you know, kind of get myself um, amped for the pain that was about to ensue. So, um, yeah, so I was just always kind of wiggling around. Um, even now, I still kind of wiggle around, groove around. So that's kind of where it came from. Um, not like a you know a trained dance or anything like that but i did do uh some uh hip-hop and stuff in, in college which was which was a lot of fun um and like a dance group that i was in um i was also in a step group um we were pretty we were pretty clean i ain't gonna hold you we were we were <laughs> look up so i wasn't on this performance but y'all should google on um look up on youtube princeton high steppers the today show um they performed the oh, today dude. show clean crisp yeah um yeah i was uh yeah, no, it was, it was, yeah, we, we were doing some things, but um, yeah. And in about the jerk video, I had to make that video because I saw so many Gen Zers just butchering the dance. I'm like, y'all, it's not that hard. Like, what are y'all doing? <laughs> Horrible, man. It's like, it's like, this is trash. Like, all right, let me, let me show y'all how we were doing it circa 2008, 2009. Um, you know, we were interested too in your hair journey. We see your dreads, your dreads, your locks is long, man. Your locks they are very long. long. They are, they're too long. Yo, I need to, I, okay. If we won't keep it 100, I was straight up. I got this hat on because the new growth is insane and, <laughs> and it needs to get tamed. Um, and right before, like literally like five minutes before I was like retwisting the back because I'm yeah. going to get a shape up later and I need to get an undercut. And sometimes for people who got dreads and have undercuts, you know that if you don't have it retwisted, they can do an undercut and then cut into part of like the base of your dread and then your dread gets weak. So I had to just like retwist a little bit so they don't um, so they don't uh, cut into the base of my dreads. But yeah, I've had this hair journey for a minute. I've thought about cutting off my dreads, but I also feel like it's just such a, I feel like I'm so recognized by this now. That's mm -hmm. like a part of me. But these, these joints are getting heavy though, so I'm gonna to need to trim these bad boys. So, um, you know, and, and I might, I might, I might switch up the color. I, I was thinking about dyeing them, but we'll see. I might, I might show up on the track, you know, in the spring with some, with some red, uh, with some red dreads. We'll see. Red we'll tips. See. 
No, no, no. The whole thing. Oh, we ain't doing thing? tips. The whole thing. <laughs> if, if, if I die, we're going to die. Going in. But, 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 but we'll see. I probably, I mean. That's I, extra probably, weight on the track, though, too. I, that's why I need to trim <laughs> these things. You know, this, this joint is like all the way. It's down the small of my back. It's like it's actually annoying. Like, I got to kind of like put it up when I go to bed because otherwise, like, it gets like caught on my back. It's it's yeah. it's that's a little annoying. But I love the fact that I have dreads. Um, you know, it's I started them in college, and you know, it, it feels like they're just so a part of me. But you know, I think at some point I might switch it up. But for now, but for now they're cool. But thanks for asking about my hair journey. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's great. Our brother, our oldest brother, he has dreadlocks. He's cut them off once, but now he got them like back. His dreads are long. His dreads are super long too, as well. As in Black History Month too, we wanted to ask all our guests that come on your top three favorite Black sitcoms. What, what are your top? Uh, three oh yeah, black this is actually excellent. Um, top three Black favorite sitcoms. All right, so I loved my wife and kids. Uh, yes. um, that one, I feel like that's underrated. So that underrated. one is battle with Cat Williams, bro. Oh my god, like. <laughs> It is, and then the physical comedy between, um, um, oh, is that Damon? No, it's not Damon. It's a. Uh, it is. It is Damon. Damon Wayans, right? No, no, no. It's it, no. It's or is it Damon Mike? is the oldest one. It's the second oldest one. Michael. Who? What is his name? Oh, that's the name on the show. <laughs> yeah, Michael. Whatever. Um, him and um, and I uh, keep going to call her Pam. That was her name. No, not Pam. I keep going I to call her Tina. I know you're talking um, about. <laughs> oh my god Tanya? um no, no tisha arnold whatever um the, the yeah, yeah, michael yeah. and and the female lead the comedy the comedic style that they have between them is just excellent the other two um that is that's a tough one um i i loved living single growing up um i did love martin watching martin more recently i kind of it feels dated unfortunately like martin doesn't hold up as well to me um i think the bernie mac show was great too so all right i'm gonna go with those three bernie mac um uh my wife and kids and living single i think that's my is that my final answer yeah i think that's my final there's so many shows man like i did that's hard that's hard but I, I, I'll pick those three. But if you ask me another day, I'll probably have a different three. But because, uh, um, yeah. All right. And this isn't like a sitcom, but I'm sorry. The Proud Family was also yeah, like stupidly funny. And, I, and that's a cartoon, obviously. But um, do, do you ever remember the episode of uh, Sugar Mama's Get Up and Go Bars? Like, yes, she put her yes, foot yes. in it. Yeah, she put her foot in it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I remember I showed that to my mom and great grandma, and we were all just rolling. They're just like, <laughs> I will say there's a new show out right now called Abbott Elementary on ABC. Class. Aaron, have you seen that? Have you I seen heard, that I heard about it. I haven't seen it though. You it's need good, to see bro. it. It, it, it is, it's Quinta. So, do you remember? Um, oh, oh, you got money. You, you remember that? Like, thing yeah, on yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she created the show. She's also from Philly, and the show is set in Philly. And I'm from Philly, so it, like, this is a lot of kind of love for that aspect of it. But it's just really intelligently written. Um, it, yeah. It's really funny. It shows like all these like black kids in school in a way that doesn't seem to like it, it doesn't show them in a kind of 
in a negative light, which is beautiful. Um, and this is also really funny. Like, it is great. So I, I highly recommend. Um, it's a new series on ABC. Um, I would definitely recommend people check that out. Um, I think that might be one of my new favorites, to be honest. Yeah, so. that's a good show. But Camila said uh, Bernie, the Bernie Mac show last week, too. So oh, wow. I have love, have love for that show, for sure. Yeah, rest and in then, peace to the great Bernie Mac, comedic genius, you know. For real, for real. And also, we got three more questions, but like, what is, are there any people out there right now or a company or someone in running that you want to shout out that's just doing really great stuff right now? Ooh, great stuff. Ah, uh, yeah, I have to, I have to, I have to think about that for a little bit. I mean, there's just so many people that are doing some awesome stuff. I will shout out, there's one person I'll think about, um, or two people. I think, um, um, Chris Chavez and um, Kyle Merber um, are doing some great stuff with their platforms. Um, particularly, you know, Kyle, um, give, given, you know, his experience as, you know, a former pro athlete and now, um, you know, with his newsletter, um, I, I think it's really giving a really fresh look um, at, yeah. at things with the sport. So I appreciate uh, I appreciate how he's been uh, kind of in that space. Uh, yeah, so I, I'll shout those two out, but there's just so many people doing some so many great things. Um, and also, sometimes we don't know who would get next on the podcast. So we got to always ask, who should we have on the podcast next? Who's somebody that we'd love to see come on Two Black Runners that would fit the mold, have a great interview, a great talk, great discussion? Ooh. Ah, there's just so many. You know, there's so many people. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think... <laughs> I have one person in mind, but I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to put. I don't want to put them on blast because you know they. Uh, they might. Uh, they might be mad at me uh, for putting them on blast. But uh, um, yeah, that's a that's a good one. Who would be uh, a good runner? So I do think. Um, so I don't. I don't know uh, Nia Aikens that well, but I think. Um, you know, she just released some music, um, yeah. and I think that would be like a really cool, um, you know, person uh, to kind of interview because you could um, ask her about, you know, her her experience running in Philly, um, you know, uh, at Penn, going over to Brooks in Seattle, and then um, you know how she's mixing her professional running career with her other interests in music. Um, you know, I think that could be a pretty interesting conversation. Definitely. That's that's definitely someone we've had in mind for some time now, too. So we'll have to make that happen. Yeah. And, you know, and I always got love for, you know, the Ivy League 800 meter runners. So, you know, so, yeah. um, I, you know, I, I have like certain friends in my head. You know, I don't really, I, I've, I've said hey to her a couple of times. We don't really know each other, but, you know, a friend in my head. So, um, you know, you should, uh, you should, uh, you know, uh, get her on the pod. Um, I also listen to her song. It's a really cool kind of um, singer-songwriter vibe. Um, so it's cool to see uh, track and field athletes embracing like other aspects of themselves. Yeah, I think we gotta make that one happen. That'll be tight. That'll be definitely tight. Then last question, then we know we gotta go. You not we gotta get out of here. But last question, it's kind of deep, but uh, wherever you wanna take with it, what mark do you wanna leave on the sport when it's all done? We like to ask everybody that just end it off and just leave off from there. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, I think that's a great, Great question. Um, so I think what's most important is having 
an impact that continues well beyond what you know, well beyond you know when you are done being active in the sport. And for me, mm-hmm. um, you know, what will be beautiful is if I was able to uh, really make it make track and field this protected entity um, in, 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 in college, uh, in, in college sport, um, you know, uh, so that these pathways are protected and continue. And so that thousands of kids all over this country can continue to have those opportunities. Um, you know, that, you know, that's what's, uh, you know, that, that, that's what's really, you know, that, that's kind of the, the mark that I, I want to leave because yeah, you know, me rabbiting great races, me running um, great times, those are all important to me, and that's and those are all personal goals. Mm-hmm. Um, but even the greatest champions, um, you know, the 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 impact of like the times or, or the things that they've created, um, the memories of that stuff kind of fades. But if you have something that lasts, like opportunities that continue to benefit, you know, the next generation, next generation, next generation, that's a living um, kind of, uh, legacy. And so, um, you know, I want to run fast times. I want to do some cool things with, um, you know, with the, you know, with my own career, but what's most important is that the legacy lives. And, and so that, that, that's kind of how I would like to leave, um, the mark, uh, a living legacy. Yeah. Everybody's dropping bars on this question this month. They're already like, sheesh. Come on, man. You definitely, definitely just in the beginning, still just starting. Excited to see where you go. Appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast. And you're making all these all these club coaches out here so proud, bro. For sure. I appreciate that, y'all. And, um, you know, and also congrats to y'all. I mean, you guys are growing. Um, I love to see what you guys are doing. Um, love following y'all journey. And I know that it's only going to get bigger and better from here. So I also want to shout y'all out, too. Thanks, man. It means a lot coming from you. It means a lot, man. Appreciate everybody that listened to this far. As Aaron always says, y'all real homies for sure. Hey, see y'all next week on Two Black Runners. Let's get it.